All right, you guys, welcome to episode three of this podcast, Return. So glad to have you back with us. And today we are going to continue looking at Revelation 1 and looking at the first title that we see of Jesus in Revelation 1, which is the faithful witness. So let's jump right in. Okay, so today you are going to be graced with only my presence. Benji is uh, out of town right now on a ministry trip, and so I get to do this podcast Han Solo today. But I'm excited because we're going to just keep going through what we've been talking about in the last couple episodes, uh, Revelation 1. And we're going to look at Revelation 1 verse 5 today. And just picking up from where we left off last week, we uh, talked about the Father's relationship to the earth, how He is the one who is, who was, and who is to come. And we talked briefly about uh, just how the letter opens by saying grace to you and peace to you. And in that same theme, we find, uh, and it's really the same train of thought, we find verse 5 where it's grace and peace to you now from Jesus Christ. And we see um, a list of titles about Jesus. And really my goal over the next few episodes is I want to take time to develop some of these next few titles. We maybe won't go in depth with all of the descriptions that we see of Jesus in this first chapter, um, even though there's a lot that we could feast on from each one. But specifically, these first three titles of him uh, in verse five, it says from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. These titles are really important and they they just really unfold a lot of one who Jesus is, but also what is important to him. Uh, throughout this book of Revelation, these titles are very um, strategic, so to speak, because uh, they bring us a lot of comfort. They bring a lot of, um, they're kind of like a standard for even just how Jesus is looking for an equally yoked bride. And we look to him as our example of his life and ministry here on the earth. And uh, we know what he's looking for in that equally yoked partner of his. And so these titles just are deeply, deeply profound. And I want to look today at the first one, that Jesus is the faithful witness. Now, what does that mean? I'm sure right off the bat, you have some ideas or thoughts come to your mind. But I want to focus first on just the fact that Jesus is a faithful witness to the Father. Hebrews 1 verse 3 Uh, tells us that Jesus is the brightness of the Father's glory. And catch this, he's the express image of his person. That means when we, when, I don't know if this is a good example or not, but when the Father looks in the mirror, so to speak, it's almost like it's Jesus who's looking back. You know, it's the express 
image of who God is we see in the face of Christ. We know that if we have seen Jesus, we have seen the Father. And uh, Jesus, as the faithful witness, he faithfully represented God to the earth. You know, we talked in the last episode at the end that there's these three transitional generations. And that first generation is God drawing close to the Israelites and, you know, he, he approaches them on this mountain and he uh, makes a covenant with them. And then he tells Moses that he wants Moses to follow the pattern of this tabernacle that he's seeing in heaven. He wants Moses to, to take note and, and record the pattern to make a tabernacle there in the midst of the Israel camp uh, for God to dwell And so we see that God is, you know, drawing close for the people of Israel to be able to know God, to be able to have fellowship with him, to know what he's like, you know, who he is. His laws represent his righteousness, his holiness, uh, how to even approach him without, you know, getting destroyed because God is so holy that if there's any sin that uh, separates us from him, you know, God's not the one going anywhere. It's it's us. It's the unholy ones, you know, that, that get purged in that fire, so to speak. But we see uh, in that, that's the first generation, that first transitional generation where God is coming closer to engage with man, to, to dwell in the midst of, you know, people. But that second transitional generation, God comes even closer because he comes in Jesus. He comes as a man stepping into his creation to get even closer, to live the human experience, to live and experience the all the trials and the temptations and um, just what life is really like, yet sinless and faultless. And so here we see God coming close to us on the earth in Jesus. And Jesus is this faithful witness of who God is to the planet. And something that is obviously really important for us to know is this theme of him being faithful, of Jesus being faithful to who God is, faithful to, uh, we know that he says that he only does the things that he sees the Father doing. He'll only act when he sees the Father acting. So Jesus is is faithful in his representation of God. And what that means is Jesus told the truth about God. He told the truth about humanity. He just said it straight to Israel about where their spiritual condition was at. Every message he spoke on, whether you know he was confronting cultural traditions talking about the law, talking about end times, he spoke with boldness and he spoke in truth. And he did this out of that loyal love that he has for his father. And we know that, you know, before creation, before the earth even existed, it was the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. And I love the way that Mike Bickle puts it. It's this fellowship of the burning hearts. It's the Trinity that fully loves and has enjoyed each other being one and yet different 
just this burning fellowship. And so Jesus loves the Father. The Father loves Jesus. And, and obviously the Holy Spirit is right in the midst of that too. So Jesus, though, is representing his Father out of that loyal love that he has for him. And obviously he he's God as well. But I mentioned that this is Jesus's first title in the book of Revelation and imitating him in this is very important, meaning for us, for us to see Jesus as the faithful witness. Uh, it, it, it's a challenge for us, so to speak, to even, um, it's like our own standard of what it is we want to, uh, I, I don't know if achieve is the right word, but Basically, Jesus was a faithful witness to his father. We want to be faithful witnesses to God as well. We want to be faithful witnesses to Jesus. So I want to look at a few examples of how Jesus was faithful in a faithful witness in his earthly ministry. First, uh, he revealed the truth and he took a stand for the truth, regardless of the cost. And ultimately, we know it resulted in his death. Uh, Jesus was often questioned by, you know, the leading political or religious leaders of his day, even by scholars and lawyers. I mean, how many times do we read in the gospels the amount of time that uh, the scribes or the Pharisees would come up, you know, to, to, to question Jesus and to try to trick him. And we see actually in one such case in Matthew 22, the Pharisees, they send some of their disciples to question Jesus about paying taxes to Caesar. And they're looking for a way to hopefully trap Jesus in his words. And uh, you're probably very familiar with the story. And it's interesting, actually, if we even just pull it into our modern context, how much do we today just see, uh, you know, the media or people looking for whatever nuance they can take from people's words to try to twist it and use it against whoever it is that they, they need to, you know, it's like you always have to almost be a little bit careful about the sound bites that you're putting out in the internet because you never know how it might come back to bite you in the butt one day, you know, uh, political officials, they go through just intense scrutiny. Like I can't even imagine, but intense scrutiny based on, you know, what they stand for, things that they'd done in the past. Like I remember even just um, reading, this was a, maybe a month or two ago about, you know, a, a political guy in Virginia who, I, I mean, maybe I won't even get into that one, but it's just people's pasts get brought up all of the time. Um, so you almost have to be careful about what you say, right? And I just think about, you know, put Jesus in our modern context, he faced the same thing in his day, but his life was, was blameless. Really. His enemies had a really hard time trying to dig up the dirt on him. And yet we see on multiple occasions that they do, you know, try to bring up some hidden or secret information about him. And they accuse him, uh, of being, well, one, a a illegitimate son in John eight, you know, it's the whole thing of we know who our father is. Our father is Abraham, but, you know, nobody knows who your father is, Jesus. You're born to, uh, 
you know, you're illegitimate. Joseph got married pregnant before they were even married, all this stuff. But later on, they, when he's standing before the high priest, right before he goes and is crucified, they ultimately accuse Jesus of blasphemy because he claims to be the son of man that we see in Daniel 7, who's approaching the ancient of days. And and they accuse Jesus of blasphemy for claiming to be God. And so, you know, we, we always see how uh, th- these Pharisees or just these top leaders of the day were looking to trick Jesus and, and try to catch him in a trap. And yet they had such a hard time doing it because he's, his words are true. He's, his life had no incongruency in it. He lived uh, faithfully. He didn't live double standards. He didn't have... Um, like a secret life, so to speak, you know, what you saw was what you got. But anyways, jumping back into Matthew 22, Matthew 22, verse 16 says, and they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are true and you teach the way of God in truth. So we know that you tell the truth. We know that you you teach the way of God in truth. We haven't found any errors in your theology, Jesus. You're actually, you know, you're pretty good at it. All of the crowds are always in awe because you teach with authority and not like one of the scribes or the Pharisees of the day. And I love how it goes on and says, nor do you, Jesus, care about anyone for you don't regard the person of men. Meaning Jesus wasn't concerned about being politically correct. He actually spoke pretty offensive things on purpose at times to reveal the hearts of the people around him. And uh, I want to give a couple examples of this. First, uh, we see in John 6, okay, Jesus just finishes feeding um, 5,000 men supernaturally, you know, the feeding of the 5,000. And we see that these crowds of people are looking for him. And, you know, the next day they're trying to find him and, and follow him. And when he, they finally find him, they ask him when he got to the other side of the sea, because overnight he walked on water to the other side. And Jesus responds to them by saying uh, in John six twenty six, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, but not because you saw the signs, but be- because you ate of the loaves and were filled So Jesus is telling them like, okay, I know why you're looking for me. Actually, you don't care to hear what I have to say. You don't even really care to see the signs and the wonders that I can do. I'm sure you appreciate them, but you, you come because I got the soup kitchen open. You know, I had loaves and bread and gave it to you for free in the wilderness here. And you're coming because you want your belly to be filled again, essentially. I, you're, I, you're coming for the free handout. And Jesus, you know, he he performs this miracle, but really he does not care one ounce to buy the affection of people. And actually back in the Roman days, people who would run for political office in the Senate would often actually give handouts of food to the working class people in an effort to kind of lobby for their vote. But it's funny because in the same way, Jesus, you know, feeds the 5,000, he feeds the 4,000, and then 
you know, they're, they're kind of cluing in, oh, if we follow this guy, if we follow this carpenter from Nazareth, you know, we're going to get free food. Who doesn't like free food? But Jesus isn't out to buy our vote. He says, I know who I am and what I'm about, and I'm sticking to it. And if we even uh, just back up one more chapter to John 5, the last half of the chapter, Jesus is talking about his being a witness to the Father. And he actually tells the people listening to him that in verse uh, John chapter 5, verse 43, he says, I have come in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. If another will come in his own name, him you will receive. But I do not receive honor from men. In other words, Jesus's identity was so rooted in him being a faithful witness to the Father that he didn't campaign, so to speak, on his own name, but he campaigned on behalf of God, meaning the the Father's endorsement was the only endorsement that Jesus cared about. He was not concerned whatsoever about uh you know, which political party or the labor unions or the working class or this, that, or the other of his day, he didn't care about receiving their endorsement. He only cared that he would be that express and faithful image of that, of the father. He only cared about demonstrating who God is to the planet, who God is to us, what love is really like, what his commandments are really about what righteousness really is like, holiness, all of this stuff. Jesus was faithful to just the true commission that he had from the Father. And uh, if we jump back to John 6, we see that Jesus says some pretty offensive things to the crowds. Okay, so we're, we're jumping back to where we were before, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. You know, he tells them, uh, he tells them, you know, you didn't come f- to see the signs or to hear my teachings. He's like, you just came for the free food. And now if we look at John 6 verses 56, he says this really offensive statement to them. And he says, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So essentially Jesus is saying, okay, you want, you want free bread? I'm going to give you bread. I'm going to give you bread that actually, if you eat of this bread, you're going to have eternal life. But the bread that you have to eat is my body and the, the blood that you have to drink or, or the drink that you have to take is my blood. And for a moment, we, you know, the people in that day are thinking like, oh my gosh, is he telling us to be cannibals, you know, we're not going to eat your body and we're not going to drink your blood to have eternal life. Like what the heck are you talking about, dude? You know, he seems crazy, right? And it says a few verses later that from that time, many of Jesus's disciples actually went back and walked with him no more. Meaning even his own disciples were so offended by what Jesus had to say that they they turned around and stopped following him. They didn't believe in him anymore. But this didn't bother Jesus one bit because 
again, he, his concern was being faithful to his father. His concern is always that he, he is not afraid to offend the mind and reveal our hearts. And something I love, um, about this title of Jesus as the faithful witness is that he is not afraid to hold back the negative, uh, whether he's rebuking people or declaring judgments. You know, when he's when he's declaring these, you know, so quote unquote negative things, he like doesn't say it shyly and then, you know, just kind of like back up and and run away, you know, or or pretend that it wasn't him who said it. He is bold about what he has to say. And in Matthew 23, we see Jesus actually says three different woes of judgment to the Pharisees. You know, he calls them hypocrites. He calls them whitewashed tombs. He says they're beautiful to behold on the outside, but inwardly they're filled with these dead dead man's bones and all uncleanness. And actually, I do have to say, I get a kick out of reading some of the confrontations that Jesus has with the Pharisees because he is just not shy about sticking it to them in their face. And obviously he doesn't do it out of some, you know, vengeance or like, I'm going to prove who's, you know, the more macho man in this scenario. It's not like that at all. But I just love that Jesus is not afraid to just say it how it is straight to the people that he's talking about. You know, there's none of this like behind the back, like uh, we'll whisper about them in secret and then we're going to be passive aggressive with them, you know, when we're in front of them and then hopefully they'll get the clue that we don't like them. Like, no, there's none of that. And this is probably a really poor example. So please do not think that I am uh, comparing these two people, but it does give a little bit of an idea what I'm talking about. I remember... um, Donald Trump's inauguration, uh, I think it was like January 19th, what, 2017. And obviously that was a crazy election cycle. And a lot of people just were not happy that Donald Trump was elected president. Still aren't. But there he is on his inauguration day with all of these top political leaders behind him. Like literally the Obamas were sitting there. Um, the Bushes, you know, just everyone of the who's who in Washington, D.C. is literally sitting behind Donald Trump. And in his inauguration speech, he's basically like bashing all of the political work of the last, you know, eight plus years. And it's, it's the people right behind him, basically, that he's bashing. So he's like, he was not afraid even for a second to just say those things, even though they're like right there. And again, I apologize, very poor example, but it just kind of makes me laugh a little bit and think of the fact that really Jesus just was not afraid at all. He had zero fear of man in him about the opinions that people had. Again, he said, I have no need for for your honor. I don't I don't need you men to to honor me. He's like I know who I'm representing. I'm representing my father. I'm I'm the faithful witness to my father. I only need his endorsement. So 
so many times Jesus just did not hold back related to saying things as they were. But keep in mind, he didn't just say things as they were, um, you know, because there's a lot of times that there may be truth in a situation, but actually the truth, uh, how do I say this? Like, I'll give an example really quickly. I don't want to get too deep into this, but Zechariah 3, we see Satan accusing Joshua, the high priest, before the Lord. And the thing is, is Satan had truthful accusations against Joshua. You know, Joshua was probably in compromise of some sort. We actually know he was in compromise. They were supposed to be building the temple and they weren't all this stuff. I'm not going to go too deep into it. But the Lord said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. So even though Satan was speaking true accusations, obviously in the grace of God, um, you know, we want to see ourselves according to the grace of God as believers. But when Jesus was pronouncing judgments, when Jesus was even saying these woes, he was speaking out of true and righteous judgment. When he judges, there's no, again, holding back in what he's saying, but there's also no exaggeration of payback or vengeance. It's it's the righteous judgment of God that he's a faithful witness to. I hope that makes sense. But I want to just even flip it really quick and say on the positive side, when Jesus would make promises or, or declarations, I love this. Jesus would not even hype anything, any of the positive. You know, Benji and I, like we joke about how in just our friend group, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, because uh, I think it's a big thing in our culture right now. We use like the phrase literally a lot. We'll say like, that was literally so hilarious. I was dying of laughing, you know, and it's just like exaggeration in our language is everywhere. Like we're always here. I'm like probably exaggerating right now, but we're always exaggerating everything that we talk about to like the nth degree. And, you know, even a lot of the times within the church, we do this too. We say, you know, if you buy this book, it's going to change your life and you're never going to be, be the same. And all of that is great. Like, and it may be true. Absolutely. But even when Jesus would promise stuff, he would just say, he would say things without added hype or without added exaggeration. And I just think that there's so much room in our day and age, in our culture, in our own lives to appreciate that and to like actually learn from his example of saying like, Lord, I don't, I don't want to exaggerate things. I don't want to stretch the truth. I don't want to promise things even that I can't fulfill. I want my yes to be yes. I want my no to be no. I want to be faithful even in the most minuscule of things. I want my testimony to be faithful, which means I don't want to even exaggerate the good. I want it to be true. And I I love that because Jesus just did not care to hype anything. He speaks the truth as it is. And just as we wrap this podcast up, I wanted to say that one of the greatest challenges we face today as a church is about whether or not we are going to be faithful witnesses to Jesus and to the gospel in the midst of just growing pressure from society. Like I think about 
how easy it is right now to just want to slowly shy away from being bold in our declaration of truth. I mean, the church in America right now, the Western church is really under a lot of pressure from society, you know, regarding so many areas. And then we have this, you know, the whole like, uh, there's government subsidies and, you know, you can get your 501c3 and all, you know, these nonprofit things. And, and there's just this temptation to want to shy away from the hard truths of the gospel because we don't want to offend. You know, we want to keep the peace. We don't want to be misunderstood. Um, we don't want sound bites of, of what we're saying on the internet to be taken out of context or, or twisted to sound hateful because, you know, it's, it's not, it's not like that's our hearts, you know, but the thing is, is we cannot, especially as just the pressure increases and, you know, the heat gets turned up, so to speak, we cannot shy away from being faithful witnesses in the way that Jesus was a faithful witness to the father. It is never going to be easier to take a stand for truth than it is right now. And, um, I am feeling that and sensing it even in my own life. Just sometimes even with friends, it's like, sometimes you're like, I don't even want to necessarily say the truth to my friend. I just want to kind of pat them on the back and say, you know, it's, it's all going to be okay. Like, don't, you know, don't worry. But yet, if I know that there's areas of compromise and areas, you know, of needing to step up, it's like, you can't just pat someone on the back for forever. At some point, there has to be repentance. There has to be, you know, that brother that speaks truth. <laughs> and again, you do it in love. You do it in kindness. You do it in the heart and the spirit of the Sermon on the Mount. But it's hard, even it. I'm just being honest, it's hard even in my own life, you know, to speak truthfully sometimes with a brother or a sister in Christ. But how much more when the pressure that we get from society starts, you know, pushing or knocking on our door. And it's, again, it's never going to be easier to take a stand for truth than it is today. And, you know, the argument is like, oh, well, you know, it's just, it's the same God in every religion and you just have to believe in God and you'll make it to heaven. And no, it's not. We believe in the God of Israel. We believe in Jesus. I don't just believe even in the generic God. We believe in Jesus and that he is the only way to God. He is the only way of salvation and to heaven. Or, you know, the argument of, well, it's okay to live in, in immorality. I mean, isn't God a God of love and grace? And he just wants us to be happy. No, God, uh, God doesn't give us grace as a license to sin. God is a God of love. Yes. But that means that He is the only one who can define what love is. Love can only be defined on his terms. And honestly, the day is already here. I know we all feel it and face it on a pretty regular basis, but it is going to get really uncomfortable in the days ahead to speak the truth about just what's happening in society about sexuality, about homosexuality, about marriage, about how the way to salvation, even uh, things happening in the nations, it will be very costly to tell the truth. But Jesus requires that we do that. 
He was hated for telling the truth. And, you know, he didn't get killed for performing miracles. He was killed because his miracles drew attention to what he was teaching. It's what he said that ended up getting him killed. And being a faithful witness is one of the most challenging parts, I believe, of the book of Revelation that we are mandated to imitate. We want to be faithful witnesses to Jesus. And Jesus promised it's it's not new to us, but uh, it is in some sense in the Western church that Jesus promised us in Matthew 24, verse 9, that we will be hated by all nations for his name's sake. But even, you know, even within families, people will betray one another because of taking a stand for truth and for lining up with Jesus. And it's intense. But that's why, again, just bringing this all the way around, it's vital for us to take a stand out of that place of loyal love. It will be much easier to stand for truth because we're in love with Jesus than uh, it would be if we're not. If we, you know, if we only, you know, use the name of Jesus right now because it makes our lives a little easier, then in the future, we're only going to go with the thing that makes our lives easier, which will end up leading to denying his name and denying the truths of the gospel But we know that at the end of that road, it leads to destruction. If we're only looking for the things that make our lives easier, yeah, there's no guarantee that we're going to have a solid walk with, with Jesus. But we want to be loyal to him because we love him. We want to encounter him as this faithful witness, and it will give us the greater courage to take a stand in the face of opposition to take a stand even when we're being slandered, when we're being persecuted. And as we see in the book of Revelation, even unto martyrdom, that we would love, love, we would not love our lives unto the death, but that we would out of loyal love, out of even fellowshipping in that burning heart of love, that desire that God had from the very beginning of creation to dwell with us, that we would say, you know what? It's going to be worth it. I am going to line myself up with the truth of scripture, with the truth of the word, with the truth of who that man is, because I know who he is. He is faithful. He is true. He is the wit- the faithful witness throughout all of time in history. And we know just really, really briefly in Revelation 3, Jesus says that there actually is a reward for overcoming in this area, specifically being faithful and true witnesses. And he says, the reward is that to him who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, which means that if we overcome, if we speak the truth, if we are faithful witnesses to God, to Jesus, There is a promise of reward to sit and rule with Jesus in the age to come. And so to that, I say, amen and amen. Jesus, show yourself to us as the faithful witness and help us take a stand for what is true. We love you. And you guys, thank you for tuning in and I'll see you in the next one.